Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, Nakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I have another double interview episode for you, freelance writer Kenzie Wood and MLA Janice Irwin. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm now just about two-thirds of the way through edits of my Red 72 finale, Red 72 Revelation. It's really exciting, and making the changes my editor recommended is feeling less like an argument, more like a fun task as I get to experience the best part of the book again. Now for my interview with freelance writer Kenzie Wood. Hi, Kenzie. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me here, Sierra. It's great to be here. So my name is Kenzie Wood. And I am based in sunny San Antonio, Texas. I've lived here for 10 years. Uh, Before that, I was an army brat, so kind of moved all over the country. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Today, I am a self-employed freelance writer, and I have been self-employed for two years, and it has been an absolute wild ride. It's been awesome. I love what I do. So creativity is kind of part of my everyday life now. And I'm very lucky to love what I do every day. So when you say you're a freelance writer, so obviously I, I know that struggle. I know that life. Is that your full-time thing or do you do other things as well? It is full-time. This is all I do. It started as a side hustle to pay off student loans because I was struggling with those students. You know, the student loan life is the struggle is real. Um, and I thought, wow, I could just make a couple hundred extra bucks a month. That would be great for my student loans. Well, as it turns out, I made several thousand dollars a month. And when I put more time into it, I earned more and more. And I did the math and I thought, whoa, wait a second. I make more doing this per hour than I do per hour at my full-time job. (laughs) So it made sense to jump off, right? So uh, it's definitely not easy. Uh, It's nice having the guaranteed paycheck of a full-time job, being employed by somebody, but Man, it's, it's been, every day is an adventure and it's not always a fun adventure, but it is an adventure Um, and life has been more exciting because of it. So I really do enjoy it, although it can be challenging at times. (laughs) For sure. What did you go to school for? This is funny. I went to school. um, I got my bachelor's degree in communications and that was an accident. I went to school 
with big dreams of being a theater major. I did theater all through high school. I did it for partly part of the way through college. And then I thought, wait a second, I have to uh, pay off these student loans. I went to a private college. So the loans were not cheap at all, tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, acting is fun, but it doesn't always pay the bills unless you're the 0.1% that goes on to be famous and moves to LA. Uh, and I knew I, you know, the chances were low of that, even though I felt good about myself. So I thought, man, I'd probably better get a degree in something else. So even though I loved theater, I had to step away from it uh, for something marketable. So I got my degree in communications and I, I did a very profitable career through it. I got out of college and immediately had a job. I graduated on a Friday, started work on a Monday um, doing marketing. And I loved doing marketing, but it's funny. It's a balance between that corporate lifestyle, that eight to five showing up every day. You know, you're working at a large fortune 500 company, but then you do get tastes of creativity in your daily life. So you get a little taste of blog writing, a little taste of social media, a little taste of video editing or music. And I always loved that part of my job. And so I really liked what I did. I wasn't always a fan of the structure around it. I don't think the eight to five world is right for everybody. And I always thought it would be for me, but after doing it for five years, I was like, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Um, and finally, I just got so excited to pursue something that I was good at and that was profitable that um, it made jumping off and doing something creative full time a lot less scary. <laughs> so the experience in marketing, I don't regret it, but it, it certainly prepared me um, to be more successful as a creative. So it was a good experience. I'm glad that I went through that. <laughs> and it probably helped you to market your own writing as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, those five years were like uh, university part two, right? You go through and learn how to sell yourself, how to not sell yourself, um, how to do so without spending any money. Because while freelance writing can be profitable, you want to keep your overhead as low as possible. You know, we don't all have the budget for Facebook ads and things that cost a ton of money to find clients. So definitely helped me get scrappy. I will say that with the, the business side of the creative business. I love that you bring up the budgeting. Could you give us some tips on budgeting and finances for people who are entrepreneurs? Yes, there are so many, but I think it comes down to minimizing your overhead. When I first started my business, and first of all, it's important to look at it as a business, even if it's just you, because guess what? The IRS says you're a business. If you're a business of one person, they still tax you. So you are a business. So I invite people to stop thinking yourself as just a freelancer and as an entrepreneur or a business owner. It's a mindset trick that I think is helpful. So once you get into the right frame of mind, minimize the costs. So that means don't sign up for recurring software subscriptions that you don't need. Use the heck out of free trials Google everything. I mean, you know, it's tempting to sign up for these courses that will teach you how to do something or certifications. Chances are you don't need them. You can find everything you need with a couple of Google searches or by joining a Facebook group of people in your industry and just asking them. People are happy to help you without charging you anything. So always try to get stuff for free. Well, that sounds bad, but you guys know what I mean. Try to be resourceful before you spend money. The second thing is to 
calculate how much you're spending versus how much you're bringing in. So at first I was just like, oh, I made, I made $500. That's great. Well, how much did you spend to get that $500? Cause I spent maybe $100 trying to find those clients with all my costs. So really I only made 400 and it's like, oh, so start a spreadsheet get a journal, whatever tracking system works for you, track your numbers from day one. Please don't let, you know, the money just kind of get away from you because you're not a numbers person. I'm not a numbers person either, but I think we can all agree that we like money. Money is a number we like. So track those. So that way, you know what your true margin is. For example, I was horrified to learn that I wasn't saving enough for taxes That's another thing to consider is you have to pay quarterly taxes when you're a freelancer or an entrepreneur. Um, That's not something you were doing as a W-2 employee. And you need to save for that because quarterly IRS is going to come knocking on your door and you'd better have their money because you're going to get a big tax bill. The last thing I would say from a budgeting perspective is to get a separate business account bank account for your business. Don't commingle personal and business finances. It makes taxes so much harder. It makes it harder to know where your money's coming from. Like, oh, was that a business expense or was it a personal expense? It's a lot messier. There are tons of online banks that you can just go and make a free account with. You know, I use Bank of America, but I mean, you guys can use whatever works for you. It doesn't have to be a particular bank. So keep it all separate, track everything. Even if you're not a numbers person, Get interested because money is a number that I think we all enjoy (laughs) seeing more of for sure. Absolutely. And with those free bank accounts, like there are even online banks now that you can sign up. It's an app. They send you a Visa debit card in the mail and then you actually like have a card you can use. You can use Apple Pay through their app on your phone and there's no fees every month. So there's really great technology out there that will save you mm-hmm. money. And the, that's things to look for. And just for my Canadian listeners out there where she's saying IRS, think CRA. And where she said W2, think T5. Sorry, I forgot. I was like, dang it. No worries. <laughs> I'm a dual citizen. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, then, you know, yeah, you know, what's up? Yeah. yeah I've filed taxes in both. So I. Oh, bless you. Oh. Not my favorite. <laughs> But yeah. So what would you say are the perks of working for yourself versus being an employee? There's so many perks guys. So I started tracking my time. Um, I use an app called time Mueller, but again, use whatever you want to use. I started tracking my time and I realized I work on average three to five hours a day. Compare that to the eight to 10 hours that you have to be physically at the office if you work for someone else. So there's that. Um, I get to work from home. I was working from home before it was cool, pre-pandemic, you know, whatever. I always really enjoyed working remotely. I feel like I'm more productive. So you get more done in the time that you have. So you work for four hours a day. People say, well, what do you do for the rest of the day, Kenzie? And I say, whatever I want. That's the cool thing about being self-employed. Yes, I have to worry about learning how to file taxes. Yes, I have to worry about sourcing clients. You know, that's the trade-off, right? Is that level of comfort. But to me, it's worth it because I can take a two-hour lunch break. I go on long walks around the neighborhood. I have time to cook a nice, healthy lunch. I can exercise if I want. I can take a nap. I mean, just the freedom of having your time back is so empowering. 
If I want to travel, I can actually do my work completely remotely. I can be anywhere, anytime, anywhere for the most part. Um, so that's been a really great advantage is just having that freedom. And like my husband was saying, he said, it's just nice to have someone home when the Amazon packages come. They don't sit there all day. It's little stuff like that, that, um, you know, during the pandemic, I was afraid, you know, the business plummeted briefly whenever the shutdown started. And I thought, whoa, am I going to have to go back to corporate life? And as soon as I entertained that thought briefly, I realized how sad I was that I wasn't going to get to have these things that I had started taking for granted because they had become part of my life. So really, I would say the best benefit is having the time back and being able to do whatever you want. It's a little scary though, because then you have the time to figure out who you really are and what you really want. And that's scary for a lot of us when you do have the time. I think that's why when people retire, they often kind of don't know what to do with themselves for the first few months or even up to a year. Um, and they try all these new hobbies and things to try to figure out who they are because you have time for it. So if you're able to make a career like this happen, I would really encourage you to do so because I think it's the key to more wholehearted, authentic, happy living. For sure. And I would say you probably also have a bit more control over your dress code when you're self-employed. You have very colorful hair. You talk about uh, self-employed dress code. Yes. Okay, guys. So this is a new development. I recently dyed um, the under part of my hair uh, galaxy peekaboo colors. I use my stimulus check for that. Um, I, I dyed it purple, pink, and blue. I've always had kind of a buttoned up, more corporate professional look. And I just wanted to do something rebellious. And I've always wanted to dye my hair crazy colors. And I thought I'm, I'm 29. So I thought I need to do this before I turn 30. I need to just do something crazy. Um, I was a little hesitant, actually. I So earlier today, I had a meeting with an enterprise client and they don't always like to see purple hair. So I admit I did style my hair so you couldn't really see it on a, on a Zoom call. So I'm a little hesitant to do that in front of corporate clients still, but in front of my regulars, I'm like, whatever. Um, you know, I have the messy bun on top of my head. I've got, I've always worn yoga pants. So it's yoga pants and then usually like some kind of nice blouse. So that way I don't look like totally like garbage on a Zoom call. But that's kind of my capsule wardrobe. So I think it's important to just wear what makes you comfortable, but also like try not to wear pajamas because it's also a mental game, right? You want to wake up every morning and get dressed in a way that makes you feel good and that makes you feel confident. So as long as you feel good and it's not going to hurt your client relationships, like if I got a big tattoo on my forehead of like a cat, it would be pretty cool, but I might lose some people over that, right? So we have to balance client expectations with living our authentic selves. And so far the purple hair does not seem to be an issue, but I will let you know if it is. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Um, I do a lot of conventions or, well, I did before the pandemic mm. and yeah, you, you wear what you're comfortable with and you kind of do meet your client expectations. So at conventions, I did jeans or leggings and then a nerdy t-shirt with a blazer over it. So it was great. And I've worked several professional jobs. Like I taught at a college for a little bit and yeah, I could not have pulled that off there. <laughs> exactly. It's knowing your audience, right? You know, I, I don't know. I, I had a few professors that pulled off the nerdy, like superhero shirts. I always appreciated those. I think you could rock it. 
Well, they, they let me get away with being barefoot. They weren't going to let me get oh, away with fair. any other dress code violations. <laughs> you know, we, we had barefooters at my college campus. It actually was not that unusual. And here in Texas, and I'm like, man, it's hot. Like, that seems like it might hurt. But but I mean, you know, it's it's a lifestyle and they're used to it. So I, I'm actually familiar with barefooting. It's I find it very interesting, very cool. So rock on, more power to you. Yeah, I can't do the heat. I'm, I'm adapted to the cold because I'm mm. in Canada, so... Like minus 30, I'm out there with no shoes on. Once Woo! it hits like 85, 90 though, Fahrenheit, uh-uh, no. <laughs> right, it's just what you're used to, you yeah. know? It's like, oh no, my little piggy's going to stay nice and warm. Mm-mm, yep. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. But yeah, it's when you're self-employed, a lot of more control. There is that more responsibility, but you get to choose. You can delegate. Like, If you're scared of taxes, if you're scared of budgeting, you can hire an accountant. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Just make sure you budget for that. Exactly. And guys, I will say I I hired an accountant last year. I've had her for a year and a half. Best money I've ever spent. I wish I had done it sooner. I found a woman who I I think she charges a hundred bucks a month, which is a steal in my area. It's very cheap. Um, and then she does all the tax filing for me. So it used to be very intimidating for me. So I will say, if you aren't a numbers person, you are still, you still need to understand how taxes work and how money works. So that way you can make sure your accountant isn't trying to, you know, pull one over on you, be educated, but it's okay to delegate that out to somebody who enjoys it because believe it or not, I hear that there are numbers people out there that enjoy accounting, which Sounds terrible to me, but I will happily pay for her to do something she loves. So best money you'll ever spend is getting an accountant. I promise you. I say best money I ever spent is my editor, but accountant <laughs> is a close second. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, yeah. And like if it saves you time and hassle and my, my test is if it makes you sick or feel nauseous to take on a task, you need to delegate it. So that's why I have a VA now. I let her deal with the stuff that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or, oh, I don't want to do my taxes. Accountant, you know, just pay for it, budget for it, make sure you have the room for it. But yeah, just delegate, you know, focus on what you like doing and let people, you know, do the stuff that you don't like doing in your business. So that way you can just do the stuff you love. I think that's important. For sure. For sure. So I, I have a full-time job with a magazine. And I do all of it remotely. I'm, I'm an associate publisher for the magazine. So I'm basically in charge of everything for my community magazine. And yeah, it's, it's a lot. And then I write on top of that. But one of the things that I have a productivity coach. So one of the things she told me was that anything you have in your life that you can delegate that would like distract you from these other things that you're doing that because she's like she knows about publishing and things other than magazines. It's like, if you're having these other things that you're wanting to do that are taking time away from you wanting to work on this thing that you're making money and you can pay someone else to do it for less money than it would cost that you would make during the time that you're working, just do it. You'll make that money back. Your time is better spent working on what you love doing. You hate doing that anyway. (laughs) Pay someone else to do it while you go make money doing what you like doing. Exactly. And I will say, if you guys aren't sure if you're okay to hire someone or outsource, what I did to make sure I was okay is I calculated how much I was earning per hour on average per month. And I know my VA, I, she charges $25 an hour. Well, an hour costs me 
$80. It's my time is more quote unquote expensive. So it's cheaper to have them do that. Well, I focus on more high value tasks. So I'll do client work while she checks my email and organizes it and lets me know what is actually important. So kind of do the cost benefit breakdown. I would say use like three months of um, expense and income data, and that'll help you find if it makes sense to, to hire someone else to handle stuff for you. Great advice. Yeah. Before we go, uh, where can people find your work? Yeah, I am at KenzieWrites.com. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Sierra. (laughs) Take care. Thank you. Bye. And now for comics. My latest comic, Wellerman, is a possum-style parody of the TikTok hit. Check it out on my comics Instagram at World of Possums or my comics Facebook page, Possum Pete Comics. In comics news... The thieves who stole over $200,000 worth of comics from a Hazel, Pennsylvania storage unit four years ago have been located and arrested. Daniel W. Zamber of Cole, Pennsylvania, Alan W. Randall of Ashley, Pennsylvania, and John L. Rosengrant of Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania have all been charged with criminal trespass, theft, and receiving stolen property. McAdoo, Pennsylvania-based Golden Unicorn Comics used the storage unit for inventory. When the owner went to the unit on the 15th of October 2016, he found an unfamiliar lock on the door. He cut the lock off and found that more than 40,000 comic books inside were all gone. In 2017, a customer brought in a box of comics he'd bought off a seller on Facebook. Golden Unicorn recognized the comics and the box they were in as belonging to their stolen inventory. The box was made by the owner's deceased father, and the comics were still in protective sleeves with the Golden Unicorn's price stickers on them. Police were able to track down the Facebook seller who bought the comics from Zamber, Randall, and Rosengrant. Unfortunately, police have been unable to recover the majority of the stolen comic books. After three years, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas jury has delivered a verdict in the Booker T. Huffman v. Activision Blizzard, Inc. case. Huffman alleged Activision copied his G.I. Bro comic character in Call of Duty, stating that their character Prophet in Black Ops 4 was strikingly similar. Huffman's G.I. Bro comics are about a special ops soldier. He submitted side-by-side photos of G.I. Bro and Prophet with similar dreadlocks, military clothing, and weapons as evidence that his character was copied. Activision countered that facial expressions and attitudes are not protected by copyright. The jury ruled that Huffman's rights had not been violated and he had not lost any profits as a result of Activision's character. Activision's lawyer, E. Leon Carter, told Bloomberg, quote, Bottom line, to call this a frivolous case would be a massive understatement. All right, next up is journalism. The Daybell murder trial date has been set for the 8th of November. My local case, which was pending third trial, has had the charges dropped. That's all I'm going to say about that case for the time being. I was waiting to see what was going to happen with that trial before writing anything more in my book, just in case anything else came to light with a new trial. But now that that's not going to be happening, I'll finish up with what I have with the documents from the two trials that did happen. Now for my interview with MLA Janice Irwin. Hi, Janice. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, For those who don't know, would you mind telling us a little about what an MLA is and what you do? Yeah. Well, thanks, Sierra, for having me here on uh, Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Janice Irwin. I'm an MLA for 
Edmonton, Highlands, Norwood, and I am the critic for uh, status of women and uh, LGBTQ2S plus issues. And so what does all that mean? Well, I mean, in a nutshell, I'm represented to, or I'm elected, pardon me, to represent um, my constituents in the legislature, although um, we are actually now out of the legislature um, as of last week. So that means over the next few months, until we're back in there, I will be doing a lot of community work, uh, meeting with constituents, that sort of thing. Perfect. And as far as I know, you are the only openly lesbian politician currently serving in Alberta. What has that experience been like, especially under a conservative government? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you're right. I'm, I'm the only um, person who identifies as a member of the LGBTQ2S plus community in the legislature. Uh, yeah, so open, I, say, I say only openly queer MLA. Um, there are 87 of us. So uh, would, uh, statistically, you might think there may be a couple of others, but who knows? That's their journey, right? So yeah, I, you know, I get asked that question a lot. Like, you know, what does it mean to be to be the only queer MLA and like, you know, you must feel like a lot of responsibility, that sort of thing. And well, a couple of things, uh, Sierra, the first thing is I am, um, even though I am the only one who identifies, I'm surrounded by 23 amazing NDP MLAs who ha- are, are incredible allies and who always have my back and who also um, speak out about LGBTQ2S plus issues. So that's the first thing. I'm certainly not alone and uh, have a lot of support in, with my colleagues. And of course, with our leader, Rachel Notley, who's, who's been an ally, you know, for longer than I've been alive, right? So absolutely. And then the second piece would be that even though, you know, I'm, I, my critic role is LGBTQ2S plus issues, I can't possibly claim to speak for the entire community, right? Like, I would never want to be the voice, you know, I, when people say, oh, you're, you know, you, that must, there, there's, there, there's that pressure to be the voice for the community. I'm, I'm not, right? Um, we have to acknowledge that I'm a white cisgender woman with a lot of privilege, right? My experience day to day is not the same as, say, a racialized trans person. So uh, while I certainly can't speak for other members of the community who have far different experiences than I do, I can certainly try to amplify their voices. Absolutely, for sure. And I mean, you kind of are a champion for all of us that are under that umbrella of like lesbian and gay and pan and bi and, you know, all of us, the two spirit, everybody. What does having kind of that that backing feel like? Is it supportive? Is it kind of overwhelming? What's, you know, a bit of both? Yeah, no. And again, I mean, I I, I can't help but uh, acknowledge multiple times my own privilege, right? Because uh, like I said, I've had a, I've had a fairly you know burden free journey for the most part, um, and so so I have to certainly highlight that piece. But yeah, I mean that doesn't mean that there's not haters out there, and there that there aren't people who uh, would wish that I would just you know shut up and disappear. But those folks are in the minority. Honestly, I, I truly believe that Alberta is a progressive inclusive place uh, and those folks who are homophobic transphobic biphobic hateful racist in any way are not uh, are not the province broadly right and so you know we will continue to um, speak out and fight for those folks uh, until yeah until everybody is safe in our province to to be who they are and love who they love for sure Um, You posted an article from CBC on your Facebook page recently um, mentioning a statistic that LGBTQ people in Canada are now at 1 million, um, but that hate crimes are on the rise too. 
We're also seeing a rise in Islamophobic attacks, um, violence against indigenous people. What do you think is the solution to all the hate crimes we've been seeing? Yeah, I mean, great question. Um, that's that, that, that was the uh, pretty disheartening piece about that article, because I mean, in one, you know, you want to celebrate that, wow, numbers are higher, more and more folks feel safe to be visible and to be out and to you know, be with a partner in public, which is, of course, shifted uh, over the last number of years, because that hasn't always been that way. Yet, that's still not the reality for many members of our community, right? As that article outlined, there are still many folks who risk their safety by being out and visible in public. And yeah, it's absolutely beyond um, the LGBTQ2S plus community here in Edmonton. Um, we are at now, I think, nine attacks on Black Muslim women in our city, right? There are women in our city who are absolutely just feeling so threatened to even go for a walk with their families if they wear hijab, right? I mean, that's wild that in 2021, people can't express themselves the way they choose, Right whether that's being a member of the queer and trans community visibly, whether that's wearing hijab, right? Uh, whatever it might be, it's, it's, it's unreal. And so that just shows, Sierra, that there's just so much more work to be done. I can't, you know, I can't explain the roots of this, the rise in um, homophobia and transphobia and, and white supremacy, um, but it's clearly an issue and the solution isn't ignoring it or isn't denying it as some politicians would wish to do. The secret is, uh, tackling it front on, uh, you know, head on. And, you know, for folks like me with privilege and with a platform to be unequivocal in denouncing hate in all its forms. Absolutely. Love that. And I love seeing you at, at all the like protests and vigils around the city. When I see you there, it's, it's good to have people that, that care, especially, you know, when they're in office, like, Hey, look, more than just, you know, saying you care, it's actually showing up. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No. And that's, that's, that's the, you know, when people do ask me what, what they can do, that's one of the things I say, show up, right? Don't just put a rant on, on Facebook or Instagram, show up, be there, offer tangible support, right? Um, go beyond just uh, uh, social media uh, fights, right? I mean, there's just so much more that all of us can be doing. Now, a lot of times us as white people, we are just bodies in the crowds at, at protests and things like that you at least have more of a voice in, in the conversation of what happens. Um, what are things that average citizens can do to affect change? Yeah. And so, like I just said, show up, right. Be there. Um, whether it is a, a protest, a rally, something where you obviously within, you know, you're feeling safe uh, with, within COVID restrictions and all that speak out, you know, a, a, a classic example is, uh, you know, the fact that, the UCP continue to uh, not take issues of uh, racism seriously. Uh, there's a lot of lip service, but a lot, not a lot of action. And so I tell folks all the time, like, write your, um, if you've got a UCP MLA, write them, um, write the premier, tell them that, that you, you know, you, you may be a, a white person with privilege, but you're not going to accept that this government can't do more. Right. So, that, I mean, that's an example of something you can do. You can even write your NDP MLA. I mean, we want to hear that, too, and we can amplify your voice as best we can in the legislature. But, yeah, just that whole idea of not being complacent. Again, I, I acknowledge fully that many people are not safe to uh, or do not feel safe or comfortable yet for COVID or for personal reasons um, to be in crowds and to be at rallies and protests. 
but there are other ways to to engage and you know um just reach out to your racialized neighbors indigenous folks in your life folks who may uh, identify as part of the lgbtq2s plus community right and not just not just during pride month but all the time like i said a lot of people uh, are in position like me where they you know they they don't necessarily need that support they have they have a network they have a voice but um others don't right you know it's the same thing here when we talk about rise, uh, raising a, a pride flag right you know we don't raise a pride flag so that politicians like Janice can feel good about themselves or in this case the the minister uh, of uh, multiculturalism and status of women yeah we don't do it for her so she can raise it one day and take it down the next day and Rachel and I don't unfurl a giant flag from her window so we feel good about it we do it for that young queer person who doesn't feel safe right for whom seeing a visible tangible sign of support can mean the world right that's why we do these things and we know we know that there are kids still across this province who are not safe at home there are kids who aren't even safe at school right so there's a lot of work to be done and anything we can do uh we need to we need to all be doing absolutely i uh, i love that that giant flag that's that's unfurled out there right across in the legislature walking around the grounds you can see it it's it's awesome. You know, that the interesting thing about that million is a lot of people commented and said it's probably far lower, right? Because that's folks who are identifying. And we, we can guarantee, Sierra, that there's a whole lot of people who aren't identifying, right? So let's imagine that the number is even higher. For sure. Yeah. I, I love going on your Facebook page, though. Um, all the posts you have on there, especially Oregano. He's so cute. Um, and you've risen, you've risen to quite a level of fame since your election. And so has Oregano, your cat. How is he dealing with the fame? Yeah, no, I, I am certainly not famous, but Oregano absolutely is. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I raised him better because there have been a few times lately where he's been really um, quite the diva, but we'll work on that together. No, no, he's just honestly, I have to say, I always give a shout out to Scar's Second Chance Animal Rescue Society. I got him, um, you know, COVID had been raging on for many months and I got him in October as we were heading into winter and I just thought, Oh my goodness, you know, living alone, being single, all those things. I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be a, a long winter. And I'd been, I'd been thinking about getting a cat for years. I'd, I'd had one many years ago, but he, um, he passed away. And so I was kind of just like, kept thinking about it. And then I finally did. And I'm so happy I did because he's, uh, he's, he's truly just, just the sweetest, um, most lovable cat. So I'm happy that he's, that he's in my life and, uh, he's taking, he's taking the fame actually fairly, fairly well. So, um, when he was in a a full page photo of him in the Edmonton journal, that was, that was tough because he just, he wanted to look at that all day long. So (laughs) that was pretty awesome. (laughs) Not many cats get that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we end, um, if you could give everyone listening one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure your audience um, is uh, has both folks who identify as part of the community and those who don't, uh, those who are allies. And so, my advice on just you know the pride piece and and whatnot is to just continue to to be there if you're an ally to show up and support. I mean, you know, I, I talk about the fact that allyship comes in 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 various forms, right? I mean, I uh, I'm an ally to members of the community. So as an example, I'm, I'm not trans, right? I'm a, I'm a cisgender woman. I get people strangely, because I don't know why people ask this, but people who, who ask or assume that I'm trans, I'm absolutely not. But 
I use that as an opportunity to talk about trans rights and to defend trans folks and their right to exist and to have access to services like healthcare, right? So, I mean, allyship can come in so many forms and um, it's really incumbent upon those of us who have privilege to use our voice and to um, do all we can to, to in the fight for equality, because as you know, there's, there's still a lot of, of work to be done. And then just, yeah, more broadly, I mean, that same, that same, uh, I, I guess, advice applies, because as you talked about here in Alberta, we are seeing a rise in anti-Muslim hate, right? We're seeing a rise in racism, xenophobia, you mentioned violence against Indigenous women as well, right? These are all still significant issues facing our province. And gosh, We've got some work ahead, but I think we can, we can, I think we can get there. Um, but it's going to take everybody speaking out and everybody being, being allies in whatever form that takes, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining me. It's been so great chatting with you. No, you're so welcome. And absolutely, Sierra, thanks for um, messaging me. It was great to meet you. That was at the uh, Kamloops vigil we met. Is that correct? Yeah. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Especially now that things have been opening up, I've been like, meeting so many people again and so every day it's uh it's a little bit of a blurb and uh, looking forward to listening super all right thanks so much bye take care bye-bye you can find janice Irwin on her facebook page janice Irwin, on instagram at janice.irwin and on twitter at janice Irwin. name is spelled j-a-n-i-s-i-r-w-i-n last but not least let's talk about barefooting This week has been a good one for barefooting as things are opening up and I'm starting to have to go to work in person a bit more for my full-time job at the magazine that does involve putting on shoes, gag, but I get to do more from home work office still about half the time, which means being barefoot more than I would be if I was in the office full-time, so yay. In barefoot news, dog groomer Teresa Maxwell, owner of the Barefoot Groomer in Boonville, Arkansas, didn't just come up with the name of her new grooming shop on a whim. Quote, shoes are annoying, she told Southwest Times Record. Maxwell attended dog grooming school while living in Michigan with a romantic partner. It's an industry that she says literally saved her life. Getting her first job as a dog groomer helped her pull herself out of homelessness. She hopes to one day open her own dog grooming school, as the nearest one to Boonville currently is five hours away in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She also raises and shows poodles. You can find more about the dog grooming um, the Barefoot Groomer on their Facebook page. The search continues for missing five-year-old Summer Wells. She was last seen on June 15th walking near her Rogersville, Tennessee home wearing a pink shirt, gray shorts, and barefoot. She's three feet tall and has blonde hair. The FBI's child abduction rapid deployment team is assisting with the search and her family has not given up hope that they will find her. Anyone with information as to Summer's whereabouts is asked to contact the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office at 423-272-7121 or the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-TBI-FIND. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with children's author, Braca Gutz. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as Sierra the Barefoot Girl, on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. Just search my author name, Sierra Larson. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums, 
on Facebook, Possum Pete Comics, and Patreon.com slash Possum Pete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.